time to begin tonight. Our first song will be number one. <clears throat> number one. We'll sing one, two, and four. One, two, and four. At this, we'll have our opening ready. There is behind the azure blue a God concealed from human sight. He did his grace with heavenly hue and framed the worlds with his great mind. There is a God, he is alive, and him we live and we survive. From dust our God created man. He is our God, the great I am. There was a long, long time ago, how God's new voice of prophets heard. He is the God that we should know, who speaks from his Our God, created man, He is our God, the great I am. Our God, who sat upon a tree, our life was willing there to give, that He from sin might set man free. from Luke chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it under a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, to that, so that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, the whole body will be full of light, as when a bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Next song be number 155. We'll sing 1, 2, and 4. At this we'll have an opening prayer. 1, 2, and 4. <clears throat> On a hill Far away, stood at home. 
Let us pray. Eternal God, thy heavenly Father, hallowed be thy great and glorious name. Father, we come to thee at this particular time asking that you would forgive us of our sins and shortcomings. And Father, help us to live more like you and to be more like you each day that we live. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, Father, for uh, the great love that you have for us the sending of your son and his willingness to come and to give his life and shed his blood that we might have hope in life. Our Father, we are mindful of those who are sick. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, be with them and we pray, Father, that you would restore them to their much wanted health. Father, we especially pray for Bill Young and we pray that uh, he would con- continue to make improvements and that he will soon be back about his daily routine. Our Father, we are, we're thankful for all the many blessings that you give us each day that we live. We pray, Father, that you would uh, be with us and help us, Father, each day to, to look to your word and 
for the, the guidance and the direction that we need to go. Father, we continue to remember the, uh, the battle-torn Ukraine, and we pray, Father, that uh, you would be with those people and as they are going through trying cir- circumstances. And, Father, we pray that you would uh, somehow uh, take care of the aggressor uh, in your timetable and that uh, there will soon be uh, peace in that area. Father, we, we know that basically uh, the turmoil happened because of the, the fact that, uh, uh, the, that Putin wanted to, to flex his muscle and to, uh, to try to show uh, the world uh, how great he was. And, and Father, he's, he's uh, done a pitiful job at that, and he's shown how, how weak and vulnerable he is. We pray, Father, that you would be with those uh, as they uh, make their way back. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to, to bless us in the days ahead. Father, we pray that you would continue to <clears throat> help us. <clears throat> and, and we pray that our worship will be acceptable in your sight is our prayer in Christ's name. Psalm 4, this will be number 326. Our invitation song now is going to be number 559. 559. Let's stand and sing uh, the song 326, 1, 2, and 3. What a fellowship, what a joy divine being on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine being on the everlasting arms.
Be seated, please. Thank you, Wes. Appreciate those songs. Well, we're doing our summer, uh, I mean, our series on Sunday nights about power, and I've enjoyed this lesson series. I hope you have as well. We looked at different things, attributes of God that are powerful. And uh, before I get into the lesson tonight, though, I wanted to remind you this two weeks from tonight, we'll begin our friends and family. Um, we'll do our, our friends and family day kickoff with a large potluck meal. So we want to remind you to bring friends and bring a group, and, and then we'll have our, our gospel meeting that begins. So exciting times. We'll have some flyers available for you to hand out. Something powerful. We have looked at God and his nature, and on my second slide here, I just talk about the omnis, the omniscient to know, uh, omnipresent with us, and omnipotent, all-powerful. God is everything. He, uh, he knows all before we ask. He's everywhere in the world all at the same time and, uh, and extremely powerful. So he's almighty, supreme, invincible, and all-powerful. Last time we spoke on this topic, we talked about a lesson from a little mustard seed, how a little bit of faith can take us a long way, and a little mustard seed uh, faith can be very powerful. So we do serve a mighty God. I want you to get excited, church, and think about tapping into God's power. He's the same God that uh, he was in the Old Testament with all the stories of deliverance. He still loves us. Uh, his power is the same. Psalm 147, we quote this each time. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. I was thinking about Brother Gene's prayer just a moment ago, and it, and it really leads well into tonight's topic, and that is the power of God's intervention. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this. We're going to define intervention, but first I want to talk about Ukraine. As we pray for our brethren in Ukraine and all the citizens of Ukraine, I imagine not a night goes by in, in the prayers of those families in that land where they ask for God to step in on their behalf. Do something for us that we're not able to do ourselves. Deliver us, Lord. We put our hope and our trust in you. I've seen videos that have been sent through Facebook of Ukrainian brethren who are worshiping or singing praises, giving messages of encouragement, and showing great faith in God's deliverance. We don't know ultimately what the outcome will be, but I do know this, that in the end, God's justice will prevail. When there are evil forces at work, uh, when innocent people are being harmed, God knows these things. And so we pray for his intervention. We don't know about his timing, but we know that God's will will always prevail, uh, that God's justice will be perfectly fulfilled in the end. So we know that God will intervene. We just don't know when and how. But let us, as Gene pointed out, continue to pray for our brethren in, in Ukraine, for all of the citizens of Ukraine in this terrible uh, war this aggressor, Putin, who is um, causing so much hardship on them. Webster defines intervention. To occur, fall, or come between points of time or events. I never really thought about intervention that way. It's an interesting way. So something happens. It falls in the middle. It comes between points of time. 
to intervene, to step in. It's almost like an interruption. An alternate definition, according to Webster, is to interfere with the outcome or course, especially of a condition or process as to prevent harm or improve functioning. So either one of these would happen if God, for example, intervened on behalf of Ukraine. We don't know what God's plan is right now with Ukraine and how he's intervening, but I do want to ask you a rhetorical question tonight. Can you think of a time when God intervened for us, when he stepped in and did something for us that we couldn't do ourselves? Think about that for a minute. When did God intervene for us? And when I asked that question to myself, I came up with Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, and so I put in parentheses, that's our condition. What can we do to solve our own problem? The answer is nothing. We're weak. At the right time, when was that? God's time, whenever he sent Messiah. Christ died. For the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, brethren, that's intervention. God stepped in and did something for us that we can't do ourselves. He loves us, and we may not even realize that we need God, but he stepped in and did something. He died for us. So what I want to do tonight is I want you to turn in your Bibles, whether that's an electronic Bible or a paper Bible, whatever you got, open it up. We're going to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to actually begin around verse, uh, chapter 19. 2 Chronicles around 19. I'm going to introduce the story. This is just one story tonight. There's so many stories of intervention that I want to talk about, God's powerful intervention, but I just chose to share one with you that I was uh, reading recently in my daily Bible reading. And, and for whatever reason, you know how you, how you read your Bible from, from year to year, you're going through it, and you're like, wow, I just, I never really paid attention to that story. That's a really amazing story. And so I chose to go to Second Chronicles chapter 20. And let's introduce this tonight. In chapter 18, if you want to flip back a page or two to Second Chronicles chapter 18, we have a king named Jehoshaphat, and he is a king over Judah. Jehoshaphat uh, is not a perfect king. He's not a great king. As a matter of fact, he has formed an alliance with King Ahab, and y'all probably recall who Ahab was. Ahab wasn't a good guy. Very wicked. He actually had a marriage alliance, so apparently he married one of Ahab's daughters. But Jehoshaphat sort of ran with with Ahab. Ahab was not a good king, very wicked. So the Lord wasn't pleased with Jehoshaphat. But the good news is Jehoshaphat at least had started to put some reforms in place where he had torn down the places of idol worship. He had kind of taken care of the corruption that was in the priesthood where they were taking bribes. So the good news is Jehoshaphat was making some efforts to be righteous, even though he made some bad choices with King Ahab. In chapter 19, in verse 3, if you want to read along with me, in 2 Chronicles, Jehu, 
who's also known as God's Avenger. You remember Jehu, the wild chariot driver? Sound familiar? By the way, Jehu and Jezebel, had they crossed paths, but that's a different story. Jehu says to Jehoshaphat, Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asherah out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. Asherah basically is like, think of it, like a totem pole, a, a place of worship. They call it the high places. Now, high places throughout the land of Judah could have been any place up on a hill where God was worshipped or idols were worshipped. So high places in general means a place of worship, but often a high place was a place where they did pagan worship and had Asherah poles, right, to other gods, which was very displeasing to God. Some of the evil kings would come in and build more and more of these, right, And some of the good kings would come in and tear them down and go burn them, chop them up and burn them. And in this case, um, we know that Jehoshaphat um, destroyed those, and so he's on the right path. So here's the first point. If you're taking notes tonight, write down number one. Number one, God takes note when he sees servants who try to please him. They may not be perfect, but they're trying. Can you relate to that? Have you ever found yourself saying, Lord, I'm doing the best I can. It's hard down here. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of the devil. There's a lot of evil influences around me. I'm doing the best I can, Lord. Give me some credit, would you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I will. I see that you're trying. Good. Keep it up. All right. We're never going to be perfect. Let's face that. We make mistakes. We fall short. We disappoint God. We disappoint ourselves. But let's try to be godly. And so at least, at least through the message of Jehu the seer, he tells King Jehoshaphat, God's noticing, and that's good, because you have set your heart to seek God. Yes, you made a bad choice. Shouldn't have been hanging out with old wicked Ahab, but you're trying. Now, I want to ask you, let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 19, and we're going to read verses, verses 4 through 11. This tells us a little more about Jehoshaphat and his character. As we look at God's intervention tonight, we're going to learn about this king. Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem. He went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Consider what you do. For you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. You can almost hear him say that sternly to the judges. Take your job seriously. Don't be corrupt. Now then, verse 7, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. Clean up your act, is what he's saying to these judges. Moreover, in Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat appointed certain Levites and priests and heads of families of Israel to give judgment for the Lord and to decide disputed cases. They had their seat at Jerusalem, and he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord in faithfulness, and with your whole heart. 
Whenever a case comes to you from your brothers who live in their cities concerning bloodshed law or commandments, statutes, or rules, you shall warn them that they may not incur guilt before the Lord, and wrath may not come upon you and all your brothers. Thus you shall do, and you will not incur guilt. So basically we're seeing here in Second Chronicles 19, he's giving these judges a stern warning. Do things to be upright morally. Take your job seriously because you're representing not yourselves, you're representing God in your spiritual duty. So I appreciate him sternly warning these judges. So we see Jehoshaphat on the right track. Now, what's the problem? Okay, our, our lesson tonight is about intervention. So what's the problem? Why would God need to intervene? Well, let's go to chapter 20. Now, it says basically that the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Now, let's just stop right there. These were pagan people, pagan nations in the promised land, right, when they traveled into Canaan. God's instructions explicitly were, I want you to get rid of all these pagan influences because they're going to entrap you. They will lead you into idolatry. So clean house. When you come into the land, we're going to clean it out. That did not happen. They did not eradicate these pagan nations and their pagan influences. So now, sure enough, the Moabites, Ammonites, and the Meunites are coming up against Jehoshaphat and saying, hey, we want our land back. We don't want you here. We're going to take you on and we're going to take you out. And they were pagan people, evil. So they came against Jehoshaphat uh, for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. Now notice what it says here. Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. So now what I want to do is I want to pick up at verse 5, and we're going to read what Jehoshaphat says. You ready? So here's Jehoshaphat's request from God, because he's fearful. He's fearful that these three pagan nations are all colluding together, coming up against him. And so he stood... In the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, this is verse 5, chapter 20. In the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And we cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. So basically, he's just asking for God's intervention. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? 
For we are powerless, he says, against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a time in your life where you just hit crisis? You were just really, really brokenhearted, sad. You felt something unjust had happened in your life and you didn't know what to do. And you just, in a moment of maybe pain, cried out to God, God, I need you to intervene. I need you to do something for me, Lord. My eyes are on you. I look to you, Lord, because you are powerful. I am not. Point number two in our lesson tonight is this. It's always wise, church, to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord all the time. It's especially wise when we're facing trials, hardship, persecution, severe temptation. You see, in this case, they could have easily been destroyed had it not been for God's intervention. Lord, we don't know what to do. We, we have literally hit a wall here where we may be eradicated as a nation. Three pagan nations are coming together. They're marching against us. Now, I find this interesting because the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 20 that a man named Jehaziel, who was moved by the Spirit, think of him as a prophet. Jehaziel, moved by the Spirit, says to the people, and I love this uh, statement. After all, it's uh, spirit-motivated, spirit-led. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Let me read that again. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Church, I want to tell you something. When we've reached a a situation in our life where we feel helpless, when we feel disarmed, we feel like we don't even have the power to intervene on our behalf, but we know there's a mighty God, we just need to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, this is your battle. I turn this over to you. You ever done that? You're asking for God's intervention. He goes on in verse 16, he gets very specific. Jehaziel says, tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. So we see that Jehaziel has not only been able to give them an encouraging message through the Holy Spirit, now he's giving them specific battle details that only God had had revealed I love verse 17. We're going to continue reading on the next slide. This is the message from Jay Zeal. Listen to this. This is rich, brethren. This is rich um, intervention. You will not need to fight in this battle. Well, excuse me? Did you say we don't need to fight? You don't need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Man, that's encouraging. That's like a pep talk, isn't it? Before you go out to battle. 
Hey, by the way, when you go out to battle tomorrow, you don't have to fight. Say, what? We don't have to fight? Nope. God is going to fight for you. All right, let's see what happened. Verse 20, if you've if you got your Bible open to 2 Chronicles 20, I think this is interesting. Verse 20, 2 Chronicles 20 says, They rose early in the morning and went out of the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. When he, took it, when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now I want you to understand the context. Here they are, there's three pagan nations that are at war that are marching toward them. And so they go out and what they prepare to do is sing praises to God. Isn't that interesting? That is so, you know, most, you would think armies, you know, like are sharpening their swords, getting their, their chariots ready, their horses, their armors, making sure everything's tight and ready to go. It's going to be a tough day. We're going to fight. They go out and they sing praises. That's all they do. They sing praises. What a wonderful choice to make on the day of battle. Do you know what they did? They sang praises. Now, I find this interesting because I think there's an interesting lesson for us, and that is this. When we're under attack, whatever that may be, temptation, maybe some evil force is trying to take us out, uh, maybe we're being falsely accused, something is happening, and, and we need God to intervene, maybe a wise choice would be to say at this point, what I want to do is I want to praise God. I just want to stop and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me examples throughout the Bible of your intervention. And I know that today the battle belongs to you. Lord, this is your battle. I trust you. Is that biblical? It's what happened in this very battle. Here in the intervention of God, a powerful reminder that he's still fighting our battles. You see, that's great faith when you can go out on the day of battle and sing praises and praise God and thank him for his intervention. He's the same God that we serve today. Now, 22 is sort of the meat of this lesson today, and I want to make sure everybody reads that with me together. Turn to 2 Chronicles 20, 22. Let's see what happened. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon, Moab, rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of their inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. What in the world does that mean? That God in his intervention, as they're singing praises, right? They're not holding swords. They're not, they don't have shields. They don't have chariots. They're not marching in, in battle array. They're simply singing praises to God. 
these pagan armies, in a moment of confusion, turn on each other. They destroyed each other. Impossible, you say. Nope. It's God. It's God's incredible power. Verse 24. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde. And behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Now, how many of God's people drew a sword and killed the enemy? Think about that. How many? None. Zero. God fought the battle for them. When Joseph had and his people came to take their spoil... They found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. This is a large, formidable army comprised of three nations. And it took three days to carry off the spoil. Who killed this army? God. God killed this army through his intervention. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barak. For, three, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Barak to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem at their head, returning Jerusalem with joy For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So what we've seen tonight, brothers and sisters, is just something powerful where God has demonstrated his intervention. Again, intervention to occur, fall, or come between points of time or events. To interfere with the outcome or course, especially of a condition or Process as to prevent harm or improve functioning. That's what Merriam-Webster calls intervention. God intervened for Jehoshaphat and his people. Jehoshaphat was not perfect, but yet he gave his heart. He devoted his heart to following the Lord. And it's amazing to me to just see in one example of Second Chronicles how God fought their battles for them. I believe it's the same God that we serve today. And you may be fighting a battle in your life privately that no one knows about. Maybe it's a spiritual battle. Maybe it's a battle with your faith. Maybe it's a battle with something else. And you need help. You need God to intervene. We'd be honored tonight as we sing an invitation song. If you want us to pray, we'd be honored to pray for you tonight and ask that God intervene on your behalf. God loves you so much. The same God in the story read today is the same God that loves us today and we serve. He's a mighty, he's a powerful God, and we serve him and are honored to be his children. I hope you enjoyed the lesson tonight, this story from 2 Chronicles. If you need to respond, we ask you to come. We're going to be led in song as Wes leads us. Let's stand and sing together. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace?
take the Lord's Supper will be available back in room one. My mother has an announcement also. All right, our closing song tonight would be number 519. We'll sing one and three. 519, one and three. <clears throat> sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy. And his grace in the mansion, bright and blessed, he'll prepare us a place when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing it will be when we Let's go to Heavenly Father in prayer. 
Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to study more about your power, Father. And we ask that, Father, that you use that power and put over the, a, 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 a level of protection over those that are going back into the, the schools, Father, this fall, that we know it's, it's sad that we live in a time that we have to ask you for that, Father. But we ask that you, you protect, put a level of protection over those that are, are staff members and teachers and those that attend as students, Father, that you'll protect them as they go through the school year, Father, and help them to protect their minds, Father, because... There's a lot of children in this world, Father, that we, we don't see that are struggling with all kinds of things, Father. And we ask that you'll be with the leadership in the schools, that they will see your way, Father. And that when they make decisions on an administrative level that will affect entire school systems, Father, that they'll make those decisions in your way. And, Father, we ask that each one of us as Christians, as we go into the workforce and as we go into the world, that we'll take your light into the world and show the people that you are the way. And Father, we ask that you be with those of our congregation that are suffering and, and sick. Father, we ask that you be with them and you bring them back, Father, that so they can go back to service in your kingdom. And Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have for our sins in your Son. And it's in his name, in his Jesus' great and holy name we pray. Amen.